Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, or to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. The text is that we may prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's quite a challenge to live above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's like telling somebody to live in the midst of contamination and not be contaminated. It's like the challenge of living on the North Pole and not getting cold. It's like living in the Amazon rainforest and not getting wet. One illustration of this phrase, this statement, a crooked and perverse generation is a morally warped and spiritually perverted generation. Sounds like that could have been written yesterday, doesn't it? I mean, this it sounds like the daily paper. In fact, in getting this thing together, I decided I would look at the daily paper about, you know, in, in light of this. Here's a story about a child pornography ring in East Texas. And here's the story of a man who killed 15 men, young men, and mutilated them and ate them. And here is the story of a savings and loan uh, group that built millions of dollars from investors. And here's the story in Durant of a young man who raped a woman in a room with his, her son next, next, in the next room. And here is the story of a uh, hero, boxing hero, convicted of rape, and just goes on and on and on. We have a joke at our house, that, and that's just the, uh, you know, the TV ad. I mean, and I could bore you with the gory details, but I don't need to do that because you're familiar, you are aware of the fact that we live in the midst of a morally warped, perverted generation. The question is, how do you live above reproach in the midst of that? Well, after all, we are to live in the midst of it. 
Escaping is not the answer. Simon Stylites, one day, this medieval monk, perched himself on the top of a pillar, uh, top of a pole, and slowly that pole was raised to a height of 80 feet. And Simon Stylites lived on the top of that pole for 37 years. He existed on one meal a week and became a virtual skeleton, but after all, he was 80 feet above contamination. That's not the answer. Salt is not any good until it leaves the, the shaker. And we're to live in the midst of this, and in the midst of it, we're to be different. Now that's the challenge. That's why we're called strangers and pilgrims. For if you feel comfortable in this kind of a, of a society, a culture, if you feel at home here, you've got a problem. How do you live in the midst of contamination and not be contaminated? That's what Paul was writing to the, the answer to that was what Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. It was his favorite church. No question about the fact that the Apostle Paul was partial to the church at Philippi. He talks about it always being on his heart. And he says that he loved them with the compassion of Christ. And he knew the, the challenge they were under to live in that kind of an environment and to be above reproach. What does that mean? In the midst of a morally warped and spiritually perverted generation, we are to obey as servants. Now there are two phrases in verse 12 that are significant. I want you to read those with me. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, there's one, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. It seems like that these people were living obediently as long as Paul was present. And doesn't it seem like that it's easier to live the Christian life when certain people are present? You can kind of draw from them strength and you kind of lean on them for help. And that's what they were doing. They were just kind of leaning on the Apostle Paul and they were kind of vicariously living out their Christian life through him. And they just loved to come and watch him work out his salvation, watch him grow spiritually. And they just kind of identified with that vicariously. Um, you know what I'm talking about, kind of a spectator worship, you know. Sometimes I feel the pressure of that. Every morning, you know, every Sunday morning, I'm aware that most of the people who come here come as spectators to worship. Let's go watch the choir perform. Let's go listen to the choir perform. Let's go listen to the preacher perform. And we kind of come as spectators. I've, had, I've even had this place referred to as the stage where I stand. And sometimes when I finish preaching on Sunday, I expect the audience to hold up those cards and say, 5.4 and 5.7, oh, there's a judge, 4.9 kind of a thing. And so we just kind of come as spectators and we kind of vicariously live through others, their Christian life. Paul is saying, work out your own salvation. What he meant by that was, you are responsible for your spiritual growth. And you are responsible to work out what God has worked in. And so Moses brought his people to the bottom of Sinai. 
And that mountain was covered in darkness and lightning and thunder. These people kind of sidled up to Moses and said, why don't you go up there and find out what God has to say and come back and tell us. A second-hand revelation is just fine for us and for some of you. And I have an idea that when he said, work out your salvation with fear, with awe, with sense of awe and responsibility, that what was going on in Philippi was this, that because I live in this, this kind of an environment, we need to get these people to Jesus. And evangelism is a worthy desire to win people to Christ is a noble aspiration. But I want to tell you something, folks. Before you'll ever change your world, before you'll ever win anybody to Christ, before you'll ever improve your environment, you're going to have to do something about your own responsibility to God. Now what does it mean about to work out your salvation? I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that your salvation is dependent upon your works. It doesn't mean that we're to find out what Jesus is doing and imitate Him. For He said, God is at work in you. And what He means by that is that we're just to take what God is doing and bring it to, to its fulfillment, to its desired completion. We're just to respond to Him because He creates within us the dynamic both for the prompting and the performing of His will. How did you get saved? By just responding to His grace? The other day I began a little uh, investigation of my own into uh, Henry Blackaby's new book and, and study, Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby is a personal friend. In fact, I worked with him some up in Canada. He's a He's called the George Bristol of Canada, the George Mueller of Canada. In this little book he says, he quotes what Jesus said when he said, my father is working up till now and I too am working. And he said, what our responsibility as Christians is, not to ask what is God's will for my life, that's not the question. The question is to ask what is God's will Find out what God is doing, for He is doing, He is working in this world. And adjust my life to that. I just get in on what God is doing. I just discover what He wants of me, and I respond to that. I respond to that grace, and I work out what God is working in, in that dynamic. I obey as a servant. In the midst of this kind of environment, this kind of world, not only do we obey as servants, we live as sons. Now he says, show yourself to be sons of God. The word there means literally to prove your sonship. Now if I were to ask you this morning, are you a son of God, a child of God? Most of you would answer yes. What would you say if I ask you to prove that? Josh McDowell has a book entitled, you know, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and he talks in this book about the fact that if you were brought on trial as a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What if you were, what if you were asked to prove that you were a son of God? What would you say? Well, you'd probably say, well, I go to church every Sunday. 
Some of you might say, well, I tithe my income. I don't do this or I don't do that. It's going to surprise you when you discover in this passage how Paul says that you prove your sonship. There are four things. Two of them relate to how you relate to God, and two of them have to do with how you relate to one another. The first and the last have to do with how you relate to God, and the middle two have to do with how you relate to one another. This is how you prove sonship, by living in humility. He said, do everything without grumbling. It means to complain about what is happening to you in life. You say, well, how does that relate to humility? Listen, the only people who gripe about what happens to them in life are arrogant people who believe they deserve a better chance, a better thing than that. The only people who grumble about what life does for them are the people who believe they deserve more. It means to take God's will from God's hand and not complain about it. And so John the Baptist finally gave up and he sent some people to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or do we look for somebody else? And Jesus sent those men back to say to, to John the Baptist, just remind him of what I've done. Then he said this, Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Vance Havner calls that the forgotten beatitude. And he paraphrases it like this, Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who doesn't complain about the way I do my business. Do you? Living in humility is accepting what God does without complaining about what God does. Now oftentimes we, we talk about the patience of Job. Job wasn't too patient. And he complained a lot and the people in his world complained a lot and God listened to him complain for 37 chapters. And then in chapter 38, God finally responds to Job's griping. And when he responds to him, he doesn't answer his questions about why. He just starts saying stuff like this. Did you lay the foundation of the world? Did you give the horse his strength? Did you give power to the wind? And on and on. And finally, Job bows in submission and says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, and I put my hand over my mouth. And what that's all about is this, that what you and I do not need is an answer to why things happen the way they happen. We just need to know more about God. And I've discovered that the more I understand about God, the less I have to know about why He does what He does. Do all things without grumbling, living in humility. Second, we're to live in harmony. Now watch this. Do all things without disputing. He didn't say do all things without disagreeing. That's not possible. But he's referring to that attitude that some folks have that is willing to sacrifice harmony in the home and faith in the fellowship to get their way. You know people like that, don't you? I want my way regardless. And so we come to a business meeting in the church and the church makes its decision and the word is spoken. Somebody in there stands up. He's willing to sacrifice the fellowship of the church 
because he wants his way. There is no way, my friend, that this world will ever come to a knowledge of God until his people start living in harmony. And then he said, to be blameless and innocent. Blameless means nobody can point his finger at you and accuse you with legitimacy. Blameless means, or innocent means, without mixed motive. And what he's saying is that you could take this person and turn him inside out, and he's the same on the inside as he is on the outside. We're talking about hypocrisy. And, to be, and, and then finally said that we're to live above reproach, and it's the picture of the priest taking the sacrificial animal and he holds it up and investigates it and looks at it to see if it's worthy of a sacrifice. And if he finds a spot or a blemish, he can't use it as a sacrifice. Did you know that God has you in His hands and He's, deter he's looking for the people He can use and the people that are usable to God are the people without blemish. I have a fear that one day we're going to stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and hear Him say, I had so much that I wanted to do with you and through you, but I couldn't. Too many blemishes. Live as sons. Obey as servants. Third, shine as lights. Now there are two orders in the universe. There's the order of the sun and the order of the moon and stars. One is the origin of light and the other order is the reflector of light. And so the New Testament has two words for light. One has to do with the origin, and the other has to do with the reflector, reflectors. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then he turns to his disciples and says, you are the light of the world, he uses two different words for light. He's saying this in essence, I am the origin of the light of the world, and you are to be reflectors of that. Let me tell you, are you hearing me? The only light that's available in a morally warped, perverted, spiritually perverted generation is the light that is reflected from the sun. Now let me say two or three things about the moon. The first is that the moon always appears brighter at the time it's the darkest. Now there's a moon in the sky, you know, in the daytime, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen one out there, you know. You just don't notice it. In the daylight, you never see it. Never, sometimes you, never, you don't even notice it. Well, you walk out at night when it's dark and there's a full moon, I mean, it just, I mean, it stands out. I was watching television one night and they were showing, watching a baseball game. The, the cameras passed.
soon. I mean, it was just glare in there, standing there. I suppose that there has never been a day when the church has a greater opportunity than this one. Young people, there's never been a time when you have a greater opportunity to display and demonstrate what God is and what God's about. For against the background of this dark world and its despair, there stands the child of God reflecting the light of our Lord. And the darker the night, the more conspicuous is the reflector. Second, when you see the moon, you know that the sun is still in business. Now you may not have done this, but you can. Walk out some night, look into the heavens, see the stars and the moon there, and just say, well, the old sun's still in business. Because as long as you know, as long as you can see the stars and the moon in the heavens shining, you know that the sun's still there somewhere. You can't see it, but you know it's shining still. Did you know there's a lot of people who do not know that Jesus is still in business? And the reason why they don't know he's still in business is because they haven't seen him reflected in anybody's life. You know what an eclipse is? An eclipse is when the earth gets between the moon and the sun. Now hear me. The only time when you do not reflect the light is when the world gets between you and the light. Nothing between my soul and the Savior so that His blessed face may be seen. And if you are not reflecting Him to a darkened world, it's probably because something has come between you and and the Lord. And the bottom line of all of this is, is that in the midst of a warped, morally warped and spiritually perverted generation, we're to hold fast the Word. Now there are two ways to interpret that. One is to hold the Word out to the world as a, as a source of hope. The other way of interpreting it is to hold fast to it with a firm grip, which means that in the midst of all of this that's going on around me, I'm going to maintain my confidence in God and His Word. It has me, and I have it. Now if the Lord said to you, and does, I want you to live in the midst of this dirt, but I don't want you to get dirty. Are you willing to be obedient as a slave, to live as a son, and to shine as a light? Let's pray. Father, grant us today not only an an understanding of our world, 
how to live in it and how to live above it and how to give hope to it. For I pray in Jesus' name for his sake.